Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about twelve, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years, but no one could heal her, she came up from behind and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Thank you, Phil. Well, it's great to see everybody today and being able to worship God. Thank you for that last song, Michael, especially. Surround us, Lord, is... You've already got the whole message. If God does that, then that's really what we're really about, is that God would surround us and we wouldn't pay attention to all the other things surrounding us because there's a whole lot of stuff that goes on in our life and a whole lot of things around us. We've been talking for some time about a progression here, going from alone time, and I don't know if you have that. Some people have a lot of alone time. But that doesn't mean it's wasted. I mean, alone time is usually when we do our best thinking. It's usually when we face temptations or hardships as well. And so it may be difficult at that time to realize what's happening. But it's also a time when you can build with God. And so don't think of that as, well, I'm just sitting here waiting until I can be around somebody or do something important. Alone time is some of the best time for building ourselves. And then sometimes we're really by ourselves, but we're with other people. We just need to have the courage to act like we need to act and like we know we need to act. And uh, so even though we're around other people, we need to be able to stand for ourselves and what that means. And then we have together time where we get to be together. But, you know, other people don't always agree with our opinion. I don't know why. I mean, we're always right, aren't we? Do you ever think something that's wrong? You, you know what's right. And so all of us have the right opinion. It's just all those other people out there that don't seem to have the right opinion and don't seem to have the right way of doing it. And so we looked at Mary and Martha and we get frustrated with each other. I'm working. You ought to be helping and you're not helping. And there's all of those kinds of stresses that we go through. And today we want to talk about being surrounded and what, what that really means. And the, so the passage that Phil has read for us is, 
you can see several times where Jesus is surrounded. And so in Luke chapter 8, it talks about Jesus coming and the crowd welcomed him and they're all waiting for him. And I don't know if you can imagine what this would be like with Jesus, but maybe something like this, where there's everybody around him all wanting something from him either advice or teaching or healing or something because he's been active and he's been to so many things. And there's one man that gets through, maybe because of his position, maybe because of where he is, because here he comes, his name is Jairus, he's a ruler of the synagogue. And so maybe it's because of all of that that he's able to get through and get to that place. And so we can see he's able to come and he has some terrible news. His daughter, who's 12 years old, is dying. And so he wants Jesus to come and heal her. Well, how do you walk away from a crowd? Very simple. Lead the way. I'm coming right behind you. And so that's what he does. He's going to walk away from all of these people because there's... There's a guy who needs him, and his daughter is in desperate shape, and she needs that. And so he's going to leave everybody else, because I'm sure everybody else has a need there too, to go with Jairus. And maybe that gives us the first idea of what this is all about. Even though the crowd is around, he's willing to walk away from all of them for the one guy that he thinks needs him. But he doesn't get very far, and someone comes up behind him. And just notice the people were pressing around him. Um, I like what Phil's version said. They were going to smash him. Uh, that's kind of what it's all about here. There was a woman who comes up. She gets through all the crowd. And somehow, as she gets through all of this crowd, she is able to touch him. She believes, if I just touch his coat, I'll be healed. Because obviously, I'm not important. Obviously, I can't get his attention. Obviously, there's a lot of other things going on. And Jesus stops and says, who touched me? Which is kind of an amazing question in the setting because everybody's there and everybody touched him. But what I find more amazing is the fact that nobody will admit it. I mean, they were all there and probably all touched him and were probably all Jesus. It's my turn. What about me? And But even then, if the crowd is real close, you're going to be touching people. Nobody will admit it. Not even her, but nobody else yeah, I bumped you once. Is that bad? We're all afraid to admit things, right? And that's where they are with this. Is, oh, what do you mean, who touched you? What did we do wrong? And she knows who it is, and she knows she can't get away with this. And so she comes to admit, I'm the one who touched you. And Jesus makes her do two things. Why and how? Why did you touch me? Well, because I've had this issue of blood. I've been on my period for 12 years now. Interesting, the same time period as the daughter. She's 12 years old and dying, and this lady's been with this for 12 years now. And if you just 
what an odd coincidence. I don't know that it means anything, but as this daughter was born, this lady gets this disease, and then 12 years later, here we are sitting, and they're trying to fight over Jesus and which one he's going to go to. He feels what's happened. He feels the power has gone out of him. And what he does in the middle of the crowd is stop and notice the one person of faith. He does not focus on the rest of the crowd. He does not make it about them as if, well, okay, I've got all these people. I've got to deal with all these people first. No, you don't have to deal with any of those people. He sees Jairus and he sees the woman. Actually, didn't even see her, just kind of felt her. Felt that she was a person in need and that she was a person of faith because she believed. And so, therefore, if I just touch him, I'll be healed. And he felt the power go out and he, she is healed. And he has her tell her story, which is another interesting thing. Doesn't he know what happened? Why ask her? Why, why say, you know, tell us what happened? Well, he already knows. He already felt it. He's already... He's God. He, know, he knows all these things. But it's important for you to express your faith. Yeah, it's the you part now. This is where we are. It's important not just that God did a miracle for us and that we hold it and it's, it's so cool for us. It's that we say it to somebody else. Is that you're able to express it. Is, and Jesus stops and makes her forces her to do this. And he doesn't seem to be aware at all of all the people around him other than her. Because she's the only one that's touched him as if her life depended on it. So when we feel pressure, when we are surrounded, when you get in a crowd like that, you know, a Walmart or wherever you go to shop that's a Saturday or Costco or a Sam's or, and you're trying to check out and there's all these people around. What are you focused on? Getting out the door. And it doesn't seem to be, even though the crowd is there to see Jesus, that that's what Jesus is focused on. He's not focused on all of them. He's focused on who is the one person of faith. Who needs me right now? Even though he's surrounded, he's not noticing what surrounds him. He's noticing that one person of faith. How does he stand it when so many people demand attention? Well, he's not going to give them attention. They're all waving and crowding and then not willing to admit that they even were there or touched him or anything. And then it's, no, I want to know the one person who says, yes, I touched you. And yes, God touched me. And yes, he healed me. And so I think sometimes we feel the pressure when we're surrounded. We're surrounded by the world and there's a huge pressure to go into sin. We're surrounded by Christians this morning and there's a huge thing about praise and it makes it so much easier to be able to praise God and what a great thing that is. And that we're surrounded by God. We want Him to surround us as if He's the one that lifts us up and encourages us. Or sometimes we're surrounded by the enemy. 
But I want you to think about Jesus still. When he was surrounded, what did he do? And so we want to stick with that. What did he do when he was? There's a passage in first in Hebrews chapter 12 that talks about this. And the first crowd that Jesus encounters wants healing. The second crowd that Jesus encounters wants crucifixion. But Hebrews 12 talks about this idea of so many people who have gone before. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And there's the whole thing. We're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. We're surrounded by all these people who have gone before. And he mentions Jesus was surrounded as well by this great cloud of witnesses. And the one that seems most important to me is he was probably there since he's God and he watched Abraham as he offered his son and thought, that's going to be me. And then God intervened, and he knows that God won't intervene the next time. That it will be him, that he'll be on that altar, that he will be that sacrifice. And so it talks about this great cloud of witness that we have, and that we're running this race, and that we're there to run not just the fastest, but the longest, to be able to stay with it. So make sure you pace yourself. It's not... Wow, I'm going to do everything for God this week. And then, okay, I'm really tired of God. And I think sometimes that happens to us. He says, put away every weight, every fear, every sin, everything that would tangle you up and be able to run this race looking for the joy set before him. Jesus endured the cross. That's such an incredible passage because he saw past the rest of the things that were going to be surrounding him at that time. All the rest of the things that were going on in the world, all the cruelty, all the injustice, all the other things that were going on. And he didn't heal them. He didn't fix them. He didn't go into politics and make politics great. He didn't even heal all the hospital people. He didn't heal everybody. He didn't take away all sin, but faithful people's sin. And so as Jesus came, he was focused on one thing. I'm going back to God. I'm here. I'm for these people. I'm looking for faith. He is the author and perfecter of faith. And he joins the great cloud of witnesses that we are able to follow. We are surrounded by them. And it is that great encouragement where we are not alone. And we all have a race to run. In the story of Jesus, I want you to go with me back in Luke chapter 22. To the Garden of Gethsemane. And this starts the last time when the crowd will be there. He had occasionally escaped to a mountain to pray. But for most of the time, he's surrounded by disciples, if not the crowd. 
But at this point, there's a whole different way of him being surrounded. Luke 22:47 says, While he was still speaking, there came a crowd. And the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them, and he drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and he healed him. And Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. He had been there all the time. He had been there right in front of them. But now Judas comes with the crowd. Judas comes at night. Judas comes when it's a little more convenient for them. And there's not so many other people around because the crowd around makes a huge difference to them. They've got to get the crowd on their side. And if you ever feel like you've got to get the crowd on your side and you've got to somehow sway public opinion so that they'll all agree with you and work the angle so that you, you're in the wrong spot. Because you're trying to use the surrounding and that's not the way Jesus does it. It isn't that he makes that community so that he's able to win. He says, I've been open with everything that I've done in every way that I can be. I was with you everywhere. And he comes and he betrays him with a kiss. And so they are ready to take Jesus and to take him away. Interesting, though, the disciples are also there and surrounded. And probably our first instinct would be, hey, I've got a sword. And so one of them asks, should we use our sword? Looking at all the soldiers around, but not Peter. Peter just decides, I'm going to hack away at somebody. And so he, once he is surrounded, pulls his sword and starts swinging and... All he gets is an ear, and Jesus stops even that and says, No, we're not going to do that. Don't you understand? I could call angels if I needed to be surrounded or make my presence known. This needs to happen. And it's our reaction. A lot of times when we feel threatened and we feel surrounded, we're going to lash out, right? We're going to use whatever weapon we have. To make people feel insecure, to make them feel small, to use our weapons. I always wonder, did they take the sword away from Peter? How, I mean, Jesus says, put it away. So did he just put it away and everybody go, yeah, that's fine. We don't even need to take it. He's not that good. How much damage could he do if he pulls it out again? So what? I, just one of those questions I've got to ask when I get there. You know, it's just, some of these things are just not explained, and I wish I had no more information about the story. But that's what happens. We're ready to fight. Jesus sees what God is doing and focuses, hears what God is doing. 
And that's my focus. It's not about soldiers. It's not about them. He was expecting them. He knew they were coming. He doesn't even see them as a threat. And so he's betrayed. As simple as a kiss. I think he's surprised at that. Would you do it with a kiss? Really? All the soldiers, all the other things around him, and he just goes with them. And later as they take Jesus, they lead him away. It says they seized him and they led him away, bringing him to the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance and they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and they sat down together. Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the fire, looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And so you can see once again, Peter is sitting by the fire and he is surrounded. But he's not surrounded by friends. He's surrounded by accusations. Surrounded by the fact that I think you were part of them. And of course, then you get afraid when, okay, I would admit that if I was with the disciples. But now I'm surrounded by all these other people and I'm not even supposed to be here in the first place. And they've all run off and... When we're surrounded, we panic. Rather than speaking faith, when we're surrounded, we panic. And especially when we're surrounded by the enemy and he can see them doing harm to Jesus. He can see where Jesus is and the mocking that's going on. And this happens two more times before the rooster crows and he finally realizes what he said. And it's all because you can make the excuse, but... God, I was surrounded. Yeah. And so is Jesus. And he's the example we follow, not Peter's. And so when the enemy surrounds, sometimes we're helpless. And it's really hard for some people to be helpless, isn't it? They're used to action. They're used to doing something. It's really difficult for them to be able to be helpless. Jesus is carried away by the soldiers. He's taken to the governor, to the headquarters, and they gather the whole battalion before him, and he's surrounded by soldiers this time. And there's the abuse of being spit on and beaten and mocked. And what do you do then? You focus on what's way ahead because there's nothing you can do. He's just silent. And you wait. Till they finish. And it's only going to get worse. So sometimes when we're surrounded, it's just a matter of waiting. Because you can't get out of it. You can't make it different. No matter what weapon you would try. And it's a matter of, of suffering and just realizing I'm doing this for God. And that's my focus. And as they get closer to the time, they... Crucify him. Luke twenty three thirty two. Two others were criminals, were led away and put to death with him. And when they came to the place that's called the skull, they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right, one on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. And so he's crucified among criminals, surrounded one on each side. I'm not sure why it gives us that important detail, but it does maybe to give you this sense of he's stuck in the middle in between all of this. And they're not the only ones. There's a lot of other people who are surrounding as well. Some of them are religious officials. Some of them are just the common people. Some of them are soldiers. All of them are mocking Jesus. All of them are against Jesus. All of them are the ones who do not believe. And say, just come off the cross. We'll, we'll believe you if you do that. And Jesus knows he is saving them by being on that cross. If they'll just listen. But they're scoffers. They aren't listening. They came to ridicule. And so what happens when you're surrounded by ridicule? When people make fun of you and say all kinds of evil against you? We would call it bullying today, right? If you're younger, you get bullied. If you're older, you get mocked. Maybe we get bullied as well. But what do you do then? Well, what Jesus does is, first of all, don't believe it. I mean, what they're saying isn't true. It isn't right. It isn't real. And so first, keep your head about yourself and realize that you're focused on what God wants first. And they're just nuts for saying these things because none of it's true. And the soldiers are mocking him and they bring him sour wine. And you're the king of the Jews. If you were a king, why don't you save yourself? And but you know who you are. And you hold on to that. And yes, we're surrounded sometimes by everything going on. And there's not another good solution out of it other than eventually it'll be over. In verse 39, it says, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? For we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And so one criminal is saying, Save yourself. The other criminal seems to have faith, doesn't he? In the middle of all of this, in the middle of everybody else yelling, and the middle of no belief at all, no faith whatsoever, except one guy who's a criminal who's been condemned, and we know he's guilty, and he even says, we're getting what we deserve. He says, this is what I deserve. I did it. I'm wrong. I'm being punished for it. And that's the guy Jesus focuses on. 
Because that's the one man of faith in all of this. He realizes Jesus has a kingdom. He realizes Jesus is a king. He realizes this is God on a cross by me. He says, remember me when you come in your kingdom. To be able to make that statement in the middle of all of the surrounding noise that's going on that is mocking Jesus and how terrible he is. He says, I can see through all this too, Jesus. And Jesus says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. So Jesus is surrounded by criminals, by people, by soldiers, by chief priests, by scribes. Disciples are gone. Maybe there's John and his mother there. But everyone's against him and he focuses on the one man of faith. Jairus, the one man of faith, the woman, the one lady of faith. It's what Jesus does every time when he's surrounded. Every time. Is that one person of faith, what can I do for them? What can I do to bring about faith in them? And so let me just suggest to you today, maybe that should be us. When we get in those situations where everything is surrounding us and it seems impossible that we can't really even be a Christian here right now, that maybe we ought to know what God wants and focus on what God wants. And if there's another person of faith around, focus on them. Because the rest of the crowd doesn't matter. Jesus never focuses on the crowd. He'll speak to them, but always, always he focuses on the people of faith. Even if it's just a criminal who's being crucified with him, that guy's important because he is saying some pretty impressive things. He was sure Jesus didn't belong there, and he did. And he's saying... I deserve this. Jesus, you don't. What an amazing thing it is when you can see in real time the grace of God, the sacrifice of Jesus being given to someone as both of them are dying. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Wow. That's just incredible. Assurance comes as we stand on the finished work of Christ. And we look back at the cross. So what do you do when you're the thief who's been surrounded? You're the criminal. Because you have sin, right? And your sins come back on you and everyone knows that you're guilty. And sometimes we don't want to repent, right? Because, well, we're surrounded. I mean, all these people would know. All the people already know. Do you think they don't? Do you think you've kept it a secret? Does it need to be a secret? And after all, what would people think? They would think you could be in paradise. They would be rejoicing. It would be a great thing. It's incredible when we forget what's surrounding 
and we focus on faith, then this isn't a scary place. Then repentance isn't a scary place. We just focus on what God wants us to do. And it doesn't matter who's around. This is what God wants us to do. Just focus on that today. It's incredible when we can make a confession of faith. When what surrounds us does not matter. And it is what we do now. That we would have enough courage to stand. Whether we're standing alone or together. Or whether we're surrounded by all the people. The answer is the same. We act on what God wants us to do. Because we are people of faith. And we know Jesus listens to that. So I'm asking you today, just stand in faith for what God's trying to do. Or maybe if you're struggling with that and you have this, you've realized I'm the criminal, I'm the guy with sin. It's time to tell Jesus I'm the guy with sin and let the sacrifice of his death on a cross take away that sin. As you repent of your sins, as you're baptized into Christ, as you become part of that, Because we stand on the finished work of Christ. And He's the one that forgives us all. Would you come while we stand and sing? I am resolved to...